This is an AMI podcast. Are you ready? Let's go. From AMI Central. Now circling in the neutral zone. Here's the pitch on the way. 36 yards for the win. This. Here comes a big chance. The shot is. Is this the tagger? The neutral zone. This is as good as it gets. Now, here's your host, two-time Paralympian, Rock Richardson. What's going on? It's time for another edition of the Neutral Zone. I am indeed your host, Brock Richardson, and coming up on a program in which we are very excited to bring you. We are joined by Carolina Wyshineska and Josh Vanderbees, who have been named Canada's co-chef de mission for the Santiago 2023 Pen. Pan, Para Pan Am Games, as I try to spit that out in English, and Paris 2024 Paralympic Games. Josh is a former Canadian bocce player. Carolina is a former Paralympic alpine skier. We will also weigh in with our thoughts on the interview and give you some um, headline stuff that has gone on in the mainstream sports world. Let's get into our real headlines beginning right now neutral zone headline the para ice hockey national championships have wrapped up and here are your results bronze went to alberta silver went to ontario and the gold went to quebec and now begins the para ice world championships in moose jaw saskatchewan and we're going to chat a little bit more about that later on in the show For the second straight year, Green Bay, Wisconsin will play host to the Women's World Para Ice Hockey Challenge. It runs from August 31st to September 3rd, and Canada will compete against teams from Great Britain, the USA, and two teams made up of players from Europe and Asia. This tournament will serve as a stepping stone to the eventual Women's World Championships taking place in 2025. The National Basketball League of Canada's London Lightning win back-to-back championships as they defeated the Windsor Express in a thrilling Game 7 for the sixth franchise overall title. We congratulate the London Lightning and I for one love this basketball league. It is not well represented in most of Canada. London is one of the higher represented uh, organizations as you can tell. They've won six championships. I would like to see this league better represented across Canada. And Team Canada wins the Men World Hockey Championships with a 5-2 victory over Germany. And this marks their fourth title in eight years. However, I think a big kudos also needs to go to Germany because it's been uh, 90 years plus uh, since they've won a gold medal and they made it all the way to the gold medal game. So congratulations also goes out to Germany. 70 years if you look at the medals when they have last won a medal period. So Germany deserves a lot of credit for what they have accomplished. Those are your headlines for this week. And as we just discussed, the World Hockey Championships. And I got to be honest with you guys, that is one of the events that really sneaks up on me. And I kind of go, oh yeah, the World Hockey Championships is happening until such time Canada sneaks into the gold medal game and I go, oh, I guess I should tune into this on a Sunday afternoon. Let's see what happens. Did either of you catch much of this? And if so, what were your thoughts overall? Josh, start with you. Well, in my particular case, um, unfortunately, I did not see a minute of any game. Um, I just found that with work and sports and other sports that were on TV, that I just I find myself kind of hockeyed out by the time this tournament rolls around. It's always a fascinating tournament to me to see, you know, how the team is made up and how they do, but I I just find that there are too many other sporting options and I've already devoted September through to March or April to the NHL, so I don't tend to pay much attention to this unfortunately. Yeah, for me, um, as you know, as I've said on the program before, uh, once the Leafs are out, hockey is dead to me. However, (laughs) that does not count if Team Canada is playing for the most part. Um, I did catch maybe 10 or 15 uh, minutes of the gold medal game. Uh, 
but uh, Grandpa Cam uh, decided to have a little nap, and I missed it. So I guess as you get older, the more sleep you need. Um, but a tournament like this, it's not as exciting as the World Junior Hockey Championships or, uh, you know, the World Cup of Hockey or the Olympics, because that's when the best come to play. And it's not necessarily the best players that come for Team Canada or possibly any of the other teams because the NHL playoffs are still going on. So to me, it's not best on best. And that's why it doesn't interest me as much as the World Junior Hockey Championships in December because they stop the league so the players can go. Um, and they also stop the NHL for the players to go uh, compete in the Olympics. So it can be best on best. Now, I don't know if this is doable, but if, if this was put at a different time of year, when this would be, I'm open for suggestion, but if this was put at a different time of year, would this interest either of you any more, any less? Give me your thoughts, Cam. Uh, I guess that if it's a different time of year where the best on best can play, and I'm not sure when that would be, um, that would be that would interest me. Uh, but only if it's best on best and you can pick from any player. And I, I just don't know when that would be um, because, you know, if you do it in the summertime, um, September or August when the, you know, cup finals are over, um, you know, but then you have training camp. So I don't, I just don't know when you would do it. But if it was in August, say, beginning of August, first week of August, and it's best on best, yeah, I'd watch it. Yeah, I agree with you, Cam. I just find that, for me, it's not a matter of the hockey not being the same caliber. It's just a matter of the NHL playoffs are going on, the soccer is on, you've got baseball is up and running, and we're past the first few weeks of kind of, you know, getting warmed up when it comes to baseball. You've got... What else is going on? You've got NBA going on right now. Like, there's just so many options that this, for me, just tends to get kind of missed. So I think a different time of year, either at the very end of the Stanley Cup playoffs or perhaps a pre-NHL season kind of tournament might actually be more interesting and more appealing because there just won't be the same number of options. I agree. I miss the um, World Cup that they tried once, that they keep threatening to come back. and Threatening, they swear. And, um, threatening, it's, promising. It's, that's when you see the best on best. And I know you hear this all the time when people say, oh, you know, uh, Olympic Games are for amateurs, which we're not going to get into this discussion right now. But this is where I miss the NHL players. And I think... If we went back to the World Cup and went back to it on a more consistent basis, this would uh, fuel uh, my interest more. Certainly, I was keeping tabs on this event, and I used the word tabs loosely, where it was like, oh yeah, that's the score of this game, uh, moving on, moving upwards, Canada wins, ho-hum, no big deal. But I just missed the... World Cup, where it's like, yeah, we see the best on best. I loved the, the, the junior-ish team that was added to the World Cup a number of years ago. I thought that was cool. Liked that. I just don't think that this event has the same kind of gravitas, if you will, in other events that they've put on, and so I think that's part of it. I will shout out the fact that uh, Samuel Blaze wins player of the game for Team Canada, scoring uh, two goals in the final game and then one in each of the knockout stages. That's pretty cool when you consider a guy like that. Um, don't really know him as a household name, but uh, you know when you can score goals like that at that point in the year and at that time, uh, this is good. And so once again, congratulations for Team Canada and what they've accomplished. And uh, regardless of whether we tune in from top to tail or the gold medal game, it's nice to know that Team Canada is back on top of the hockey world yet again. And it's a pretty cool thing when you consider every other year for the last eight years, Canada 
has won the gold medal. So congratulations once again. If you want to get a hold of us uh, on Twitter, here's how you can do that. And welcome back to the Neutral Zone AMI broadcast booth. And we are set to get this ball game underway. The first pitch brought to you by Brock Richardson's Twitter account at NeutralZoneBR. First pitch, strike. And hey, gang, why not strike up a Twitter chat with Claire Buchanan for the Neutral Zone? Find her at Neutral Zone CB. And there's a swing and a chopper out to second base. Right at Claire, she picks up the ball, throws it over to first base for a routine out. And fans, there is nothing routine about connecting with Cam and Josh from the Neutral Zone. At Neutral Zone, Cam J and at J Watson 200. Now that's a winning combination. And this Oregon interlude is brought to you by AMI-audio on Twitter. Get in touch with the Neutral Zone. Type in at AMI-audio. Carolina Vishineska and Josh Vanderbees have been named co-chef de mission for the Santiago 2023 Parapan American Games and the Paris 2024 Paralympic Games. Josh is a former Canadian bocce athlete. Carolina is a former Paralympic alpine skier. Josh is from Vancouver, British Columbia. Carolina is from Montreal is where they're joining us right at this moment. Guys, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having us here. Very happy to be here. Thanks. Folks, my first question is for both of you, and uh, Carolina, if we can start with you. Can you guys give us a brief synopsis of your Paralympic careers? I'll give a synopsis of my career. I won't give a synopsis of Josh's. Uh, yes, um, as Brock mentioned, I was uh, an athlete in para-alpine skiing. I raced all the disciplines. I competed at three Paralympic Winter Games uh, and won eight Paralympic medals for Canada, which was wonderful. Well, I'm a retired bocce athlete, as Brock mentioned. So I was on the Canadian national team for about 11 years, competed in two Paralympics, Athens 2004 and London 2012. I just uh, missed out qualifying for Beijing 2008 uh, by a single point. So that was sort of a, a moment of heartbreak in my career. But then I came back and uh, made it to London 2012 and finally pulled off uh, a bronze. And uh, those glory days are over, though. Now I'm now I'm just a lawyer, I like to say. Oh, I'm still st sure there's going to be some glory days for you, Josh. Um, another question for both of you. And Josh, let's start with you. Um, at what point did you start to think about the idea that you wanted to become a chef de mission? Well, I was always paying attention to the, the chef de missions uh, on all of the Paralympic teams that I was on. I, I remember the great energy of Louis Barbeau in 2004, uh, chef de mission, and then the, the assistant chef there was Debbie Lowe, who went on to be an incredible mentor and, and friend to me. And I... I always watched and saw what they were giving to the team in, in Athens. And then in London 2012, uh, it was Gaetan Tardif was chef de mission and Elizabeth Walker Young was assistant chef. And uh, they, they, the two of them, they just had such a great impact on, on my bronze medal journey there in London. I, the, the best way to summarize how cool it was, was I, I saw Elizabeth Walker Young on her bike a couple months after the games here in Vancouver, and we said hi to each other. And it was such a surge of energy because we had been through that team experience together uh, in in London. And so that just got me thinking over the years of how cool it is to be a chef de mission, how important of a role it is to go in and help lead the, the Paralympic team and the Parapan-American team or any multi-sport games team where there is a chef. Uh, and so I always watched for opportunities as I was kind of president of Athletes Can and chair of the uh, Canadian Paralympic Committee Athletes Council. Chef de Mission seemed like a, a good way that I could give back. And how about you, Carolina? What was, uh, when's the first thought or idea that you wanted to become a chef de mission as well? Well, before I get to that, can I just say that Elizabeth Walker Young, who is assistant chef in London, is a dear, dear friend of mine. And so it's true that winter and summer athletes can, can coincide and be friends. And I think that's a, important for me to say that, um, because I think a lot of people are wondering, well, why is a winter 
Paralympian, co-chef de mission for summer games. Um, really, so the answer to that briefly is that, you know, what you learn as a high performance athlete traverses all sports, um, whether winter, summer, male, female, Olympic, Paralympic. Uh, but in terms of when I first started thinking about being a chef de mission, um, I didn't, my last Paralympic Games were uh, in Canada, the 2010 Paralympic Games in Vancouver, uh, where I finished off my Paralympic career with with two bronze medals, which was wonderful to do on home soil. Um, and I certainly wasn't thinking about being a chef de mission at that time. At that time, <laughs> thinking about what to do with the rest of my life. Um, I think though, since, I think the thought has been with me since it has become now the norm that chef de mission are former athletes, which is, I think, as it should be. It is a very important role, uh, a leadership role, a mentor role, a role where you're dealing directly with athletes, coaches, and uh, IST, so integrated um, sport teams, staff. So I think it's really great and also really critical that that role is actually filled by someone who has experienced what the athletes on the team are experiencing. Um, of course, it's wonderful to have people from other walks of life, but I say they can fill other roles and a chef de mission role should be filled by an athlete. So Similar to Josh, I've kind of kept my um, my eye open, my ear to the ground, so to speak, uh, in terms of opportunities. Um, Josh and I uh, were both involved in the Tokyo Games. He was the assistant chef de mission to Stephanie Dixon, who was the chef, and I was the athlete mentor. But of course, those ended up being COVID games, so a very different experience. And then... Um, I actually had the wonderful opportunity to be, to be assistant chef for Winter Games, Beijing 2022, just now with another Josh, Josh Dewitt, who is my friend and former teammate. So in some way, it's been kind of a progression, if you will, from, from those roles to this one. And continuing along our theme, if we can start with Carolina and then Josh on this question, both of you have mentioned in other interviews that this particular go around with Santiago, Chile and Paris, France was the right fit for both of you. I'm wondering if you can elaborate as to why. Well, very much off the top of my head, Paris is a great fit for me because I'm completely bilingual. I'm a total Francophile and I love France and I love Paris, but it's not just that. That's just on a personal note. Um, the Santiago Paris combination, uh, the, the, the combination of the chef being the chef for the para Pan Ams and the Paralympics, uh, this is, I believe the second time that the CPC is going this route. Um, so I think that's critical and really important and very interesting because it allows us, Josh and I, as a chef team to, to do our jobs very, very well in Santiago, and hopefully there aren't any, but if there are any kinks, to get them out before Paris, just like the athletes themselves. And of course, it will be, you know, a different group of athletes and a different group of people. So I think it's it's a really neat opportunity and an advantage, uh, potentially, I think, for Canada and Team Canada to have the same chefs in place for both Santiago and Paris. And so that seemed like a great idea to me. Um, and, you know, after I mentioned Tokyo and after Tokyo and Beijing and COVID games, and I I was also on the ground in London in a completely different role. And I, I have this excitement around Paris because I think London did such a spectacular job of putting Paralympic sport on the world map, really did in a way that I think no other Paralympic games have done since. Um and I have a feeling that Paris has that same potential. And that's what makes me excited. It's going to be so great to be teamed up with uh, Carolina in, in Paris. I mean, our, our thinking is along the same lines here. Uh, I love the link between London and, and Paris. It's great. And the fact that uh, as co-chefs, we're both uh, completely fluent in, in English and French is going to be a lot of fun and uh, a great just wonderful way to show our Canadian pride there uh, in Paris, um, moment to moment in all of our interactions. 
there's a there's a real interesting accessibility component to Paris. I'm looking forward to going in there as a wheelchair user and uh, really asserting uh, accessibility and and my pride of being a, a disabled electric wheelchair user. So Paris doesn't exactly have the the best track record uh, out of the most accessible cities on our planet, and so uh, I can't wait to to just be there in this prominent leadership role and have the most athletic and most competitive wheelchair users uh, in the world there with me in the city as we all celebrate our our pride and claim Paris as a disability space. And then uh, Santiago, you know, I love the Parapan American Games. Guadalajara 2011 Parapan American Games was a real highlight of my career uh, playing and um, the neutral zone's own two-time Paralympian Brock Richardson was uh, on the team with me there in Guadalajara so I it's hard to really pinpoint why I loved it so much there but it, it it's just a real highlight of my career the 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 crowd was amazing in Mexico and the concept of uh, competing against the Americas, where in most sports, especially in our sport, it's still many of the top athletes are from the Americas region. So it's really high quality sport. And uh, I know that it can be a similar high point for many members of the Canadian 2023 Parapan American team. So I just can't wait to build that continuity uh, into Santiago and Paris. And Josh, I'll start with you. Um... I've always like wondered about the chef de missions in your opinion. And then we'll go to uh, Carolina afterwards. Uh, what makes a good uh, chef de mission? Well, uh, I'll quote uh, a former illustrious uh, chef de mission, Chantal uh, Petit Claire. She would often say it has nothing to do with cooking. That's for sure. But uh, it's not that kind of chef. <laughs> and uh, I won't be bringing any, yeah, I won't be bringing any uh, cooking skills. Uh, it's uh, it, it means leader, of course, leader of the mission. And uh, so I, I think a good chef knows what it's like to have, have been in the role of a team member, competing when the stakes are so high, uh, getting the distractions out of there, using the distractions to your advantage, knowing what it's like to have your family in the city and be worried that they've got tickets and that they're going to show up for your matches or that their flights uh, are on time, all that. So it, it's someone who has lived the experience and who has lived the, the whole gamut, the highs and the lows. So uh, it's all about someone who knows that everything isn't going to go perfectly and who can just react. I, I said it earlier, moment to moment. I think it's somebody who has real control over themselves. And so I, I hope that over the years I've built some high performance uh, ability, especially under pressure. And that's what I'm really hoping to help moment to moment when when the stakes are just off the charts and uh, unimaginable. I want to be there uh, helping people with what they need. Now... In talking about being co-chef de mission for these two events, I'm wondering, uh, Carolina, starting with you, can you talk to us a bit about what you think that dynamic will be between the two of you and whether or not you've talked about defining roles or perhaps dividing up the duties of a chef de mission? That's a great question, Josh. We haven't got to the point where we're dividing duties yet. I think for... You know, anyone who, who meets Josh and I, well, of course, first of all, you know, I come from the winter side. Josh comes from the summer side. I'm female. Josh is male. Those are kind of, you know, I think surface differences. But I think we both bring very important and particular skill sets, some of which we both possess and are very, very complementary. And I think in some areas, for sure, I mean, Josh mentioned it, you know, he's a lawyer. And there are areas where Josh has an immense amount of strength and there are areas in which I have an immense amount of strength. And so I really do feel that the combined efforts of Josh and me together uh, 
will make for this wonderful whole. Um, and it will just, I think, enable us to uh, undertake our roles as chef de mission much more easily. It's just so much nicer to have a sidekick, someone you can bounce ideas off of, someone you can, I mean, gosh, you know, God forbid one of us gets sick or tired or what have you, but there's there's a backup. It's not all on you and it's, it's a team effort. And I think if, you know, Canada is very good um, at at working well as a team. And and I, of course, was in an individual sport, but that's not to say that the people and my teammates and coaches and ski techs and all the people around me, those people were absolutely critical to my success. Uh, people often make that mistake. They think, oh, well, you were in an individual sport. Well, there's no way, Josh alluded to, you know, moments when the stakes are high. There's no way you can race at 130 kilometers down a mountain in a downhill in a Paralympics on your own like you don't get there on your own you get there after years and years of training after dozens of people having helped you coach you and so on and i think for me as a co-chef what's very important is to realize that in some sense josh and i yes we'll be there in santiago which is great and we'll be there in paris but we're a later addition to the wonderful team that is already surrounding our athletes in their daily training environments the people that they they train with every day. And I hope very much that we can be a positive addition. And I think the way we can do that is, uh, as Josh mentioned, moment to moment responding to the needs of the athletes and of the team. Josh, um, you are a lawyer, as uh, been previously stated. Uh, how do you think um, you being a lawyer and all of the knowledge you have of that is going to help you uh, with being a chef de mission? I practice the law of charity. So I uh, build charities and get them registered with CRA so they can give tax receipts. And I defend them against CRA when uh, they come after their tax uh, uh, exempt status. Um, and uh, I've also had a chance to to learn a lot about sport and the way that the law interacts with sport uh, in my seven or so years of uh, of legal practice. So I'm hoping to to leverage all that. But you know, hopefully, being a lawyer won't be too much of a negative. I hope that uh, uh, Carolina is gonna learn how to understand me, and maybe she'll be able to translate if I start uh, getting into too too impenetrable of. Uh, of legalese uh, out there. Um, but really, ultimately, all, all that we lawyers are good at, all that we're really good for, is uh, that we can learn really fast. That's basically our skill. We, we learn quickly and deeply on something that we had no idea about uh, because we need to use it in a, in a case or, or in a scenario. And so that's, that's what I'll be really watching for, to see if there's something that I can learn about and then deploy uh, really fast. So when I was Team Canada ombudsman for the uh, 2018 Commonwealth Games in Gold Coast, I, I studied uh, all of the technical manuals by the host organizing committee uh, for every single sport. And then a couple times I was able to, oh yeah, I remember there's something in there and then I could go and uh, and look for it. So really nerdy and geeky stuff like that. No, nothing wrong with that at all. <laughs> nothing wrong with a little bit of nerdy and geeky once in a while. Another question for both of you, beginning with Carolina. Um, we've talked about it a little bit, I think, but what do you hope to bring to the athletes during your times as chef de mission? It's a great question. Well, Josh doesn't even know this about me. I had every intention of going to law school. <laughs> then I got derailed by getting named to the national team. So it's a, it's a good thing my ski career happened. Otherwise, you'd be talking to two lawyers. Um, um, but in all seriousness, what do I intend to bring to the team? Um, certainly, you know, I have a wealth of experience. I have competed at three Paralympic Games. Uh, I also missed my first shot, my first kick at the can in a way, uh, similar experience to Josh. I've had numerous brutal injuries, uh, you know, losses by a hundredth of a second, things like this and things that happen in sport. And so it's interesting when people do a summary of your, or even I do a summary of my career. I say, you know, eight, three Paralympic games, eight Paralympic medals, but that's not even the half of it. That's just the part that's easy to say. 
uh, behind each and every one of those medals and every World Cup podium um, and every World Cup globe, every ski season that I lived through, I lived and breathed and was my sport. Um, and I trained to the utmost of my ability in the gym, on the hill, mentally, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I brought it for decades. So just thinking about it makes me tired. Um, so I've now recovered. I'm not so tired anymore. And I'm really ready to bring all of that experience and hopefully my uh, evident enthusiasm uh, to the team. And I also think it's important to realize that the Paralympic movement has is shift is constantly shifting and moving and and evolving, and so that it has evolved a little bit since Josh's and my time as athletes, but perhaps not enough. And so we also have, as Josh has alluded to, I think we have a formidable opportunity with Paris in particular, um, but perhaps also with Santiago, to move the Paralympic agenda, if you will to move it forward and to bring it more to the fore again. And prior to Santiago and Paris, and this I think is what's important as well, is to do that work in and across Canada. When I'm thinking about what I want to bring and and give to the team, it's my thoughts are, are really centering around, around pride. And uh, Carolina and I have had some good chats about this and we're sort of approaching this uh, United, I I talked about disability pride, and uh, Carolina just mentioned it. the The other areas where my mind really goes is Canadian pride and and sport pride, and so the the games, both games are just centered on nationalism and Canadian spirit and seeing our flags flying. So I I do want to. Um, Without going overboard on uh, nationalism in today's globalized world, I I do want our team to feel so proud and to take advantage of this really special connection that we're all going to have to to all of Canada. And then on on sport pride, we're we're heading into a I don't know if we're there, but we're going we're getting close to maybe a post podium uh, world in Canadian sports. So we're going to celebrate medals and we're going to love medals, but I'm going to really be watching for the, the moments that might not necessarily lead to medals. The, the sport performances that are just so awesome. The, the giant killers. I just love a good giant killing when, uh, you know, when some kind of underdog comes along and just takes down the, the world number one or something, Anytime that that happens, that a Canadian underdog is uh, getting a win that they have no business getting, I'm going to be celebrating it as much as I can. <laughs> That's amazing. Everyone loves the underdogs. So let's hope a uh, few Canadian athletes uh, can uh, win those medals and uh, be the underdog. If you could finish this sentence, I will feel I have done my job in my role if I accomplish blank. When team members come to me and give me a little comment about something that I that I did for them that I have pulled that off in the in the past at multi-sport games it's difficult it's oh so special and I'll be I'll be treasuring uh, those those little one-on-one -on -one moments I think my answer is in a similar vein to Josh's certainly uh, that that idea of an athlete or a coach or somebody coming up to you one-on-one -on -one is amazing I think that for me, I will feel that I have accomplished my role as co-chef de mission if each and every member of Team Canada leaves those games feeling from a co-chef standpoint that they were supported, that they were heard, that they were cheered on, that any issues that arose we deflected and in fact, they probably won't even know about half the issues or more hopefully. Um, but really, it is that sense that they that they just felt, yes, Team Canada and my co-chefs had my back, and they did a great job. Josh, uh, something that you said early on in the interview regarding Guadalajara uh, was that it was one of your favorite events, and it was one of mine too. 
I would say that in my quarterfinal, I would argue that there was a bit of cheating going on. Not that I'm bitter in any way, shape, or form, but that's just the reality of the situation. Would you say that your level of comfort, enjoyment, was the fact that when we pulled into the village, there was a SWAT team at the top of the building pointing um, some level of guns at us and making us all feel a little bit safe but on edge at the same time? Well, that's... That's a site that uh, gets seen uh, at many, many multi-sport games uh, over the continent and over the years here. That's the that's a reality, and safety is a reality at multi-sport games, um, and uh, it's it's important. And Canada does a good job. Yeah, no, I think it was. Uh, I would I would peg it more on the amazing crowds than the than the assault rifles. Fair enough. I. For the audience, I did say that a little bit in jest because that is a, a visual that I just will never, ever get out of my mind. And uh, it's just, it's it was wonderful having you both on the program. And thank you so much for your transparency and just energy and honesty. And we love it. And I am confident that Canada has selected the appropriate chef de Michon. So thank you both very much. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thank you for having us. That was Carolina Wyshineska and Josh Vandervies, who are co-chef de Michon for the upcoming Parapan Am Games and Paralympic Games. If you like what you heard on this interview or anything else we did, here's how you can get a hold of us by voicemail. If you want to leave a message for the Neutral Zone, call now, 1-866-509-4545. And don't forget to give us permission to use your message on the air. Let's get ready to leave a voicemail! We always love having uh, interviews on the program. doesn't matter at what level, at what... Um, what stage in people's careers, it's always fun. And um, when you have two people on the same interview, it's tough sometimes because one person may not match the energy level of, of the other or or you may have two people with too much energy or whatever the case is. And in this case, uh, both Carolina and Josh were just wonderful uh really honest really transparent and it was just a lot of fun uh thoughts on the interview um Cameron start with you yeah I thought it was a great interview I always uh love uh interviewing uh chef de Michelons or um you know the executive when it comes to the Paralympics um and because they always have so much passion and they're so dedicated and that's great to see because that's what you need for Canada um you know the whole world is watching um, when you compete at a Paralympic Games and you know you're representing Canada so it's great to have those chef de missions um as leaders um as uh, cheerleaders and as confidants so you can go to them if you're feeling nervous or if you're feeling um, whatever you're feeling. You can go to them and talk about anything as it uh, relates to the games that you're competing in. And um, they also seem like very calm individuals um, that, you know, don't get too high or too low as far as when somebody might be stressed out. They seem like very even keeled and being able to... Um, you know, really calm down uh, a person uh, if they are having uh, anxiety um, before competing. Yeah, I really enjoyed um, speaking with Josh and Carolina. They're both very, very accomplished uh, athletes in their own fields, which is uh, the first thing that I took note of. Second thing was just the the energy. Um, Carolina, especially, it just seems very, very bubbly, very enthusiastic, very... I can see her being a, a big cheerleader at the, the various venues as the week goes on, uh, cheering on our athletes, which I think it, it may not be the most important part of what they do, but I think it is is uh, something that athletes will appreciate, being so far away from home. Um, and, I mean, Josh too, but given his, maybe it's his legal background, maybe it's just his personality, but he just does seem to be a little more a little more even keel a little more reserved if you will 
but uh, Brock, you know him best, so you might feel differently. But uh, yeah, those were the sort of the two things I took away from it. I think they're both going to do an excellent job, and uh, they they really seem to get along well with each other too. Which, if you're going to share a role, I think that's that's critical that you be able to work hand in hand with your your co-chef mission this almost to me feels like a yin to the yang sort of scenario and josh is a very um even keel guy he does have a level of energy he does have a level of fun he does have you know energy on a different level but Carolina, to me, is going to be the one that brings the energy, brings the, not so much that Josh doesn't have the life, but Carolina's <laughs> going to bring the life to the party. And I think this is... Josh has got some jokes. He had some jokes during the interview. It was kind of funny. I chuckled. I know, but he's still got that serious undertone to the jokes. Um, the The beautiful thing about Josh is that he will argue... Uh, black versus white for you, uh, hence the lawyer background. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say one that. of the one of the things that stands out to me uh, about Josh, which I never got a chance to to make mention during the interview, was that he uh, created a rule in the rule book. We all have rules in the rule book in the bocce world that we call the uh, Josh Vandervies rule, the Brock Richardson rule, the <laughs> whatever, even though it may not be allocated as that or suggested as that, we all know. And for Josh, the rule that's added was there's no such thing as one bocce ball touching the jack ball more than another. If both bocce balls are touching the jack ball, it is considered a tie. And the reason this got started <laughs> was because Josh argued with his own father I believe at a um, <laughs> at a local event that his bocce ball was touching the jack ball more than the opponent's uh, bocce ball, which <laughs> wasn't a rule at the time, but it has become one. And I just think that you know, as a, as a friend of of Josh's, I, I couldn't be more proud uh, for for a friend, for a colleague, for a, a teammate, and. Uh, it's really good, and so congratulations to both of them uh, for for getting this role and and really going to be representing well. And I love the fact that they are now the Canadian Paralympic Committee leaning towards sending Chef de Michon to both the pa the Pan American Games and the Paralympic Games together in the same cycle because consistency in sports is key, and I think. For a while there, you were not seeing that. You were seeing one uh, chef de Michonne for one event and another for another one. And to me, the level of consistency is important and necessary. So I think this is a good move on the Canadian Paralympic Committee's part. Um, people have asked me if I'm interested in a role like this. The answer to that is unequivocally not at this point. Um, it's it's not something that I I thought of at this point. I have heard that you do get to a point in your career or your retirement where you want to do that. I'm not at this point, um, but but they are and they're ready to do it and they're primed and ready. So I wish them all the best of luck and hopefully we'll have them on again um, post uh, probably both events uh, just to kind of get a. A recap on how they felt the team went and and did and so uh, best of luck to both of them. I did want to move on to the um, uh, Para Ice Hockey World Championships that is uh, getting going and has gotten going. Uh, Canada begins as we record this tonight, Monday, um, and they get going against Korea. Uh, the Pool for Pool A is Canada, Czech, Korea, United States. Pool B is Italy, Norway, Germany, China. Um, let me give you the full skeptics of my notes here, and then I will let you weigh in on your thoughts. Um, 
first of all, what I want to see from Team Canada is really putting the pedal to the metal from the beginning of the event. None of this, oh, we're going to roll over everybody and we're going to wait until the United States comes. I think we can all sit here as a as a trio and figure out that that uh, first round robin game is probably going to be uh, undefeated Canada versus undefeated United States. But we do have to play the games as they are on the schedule. So for me, I want to see Team Canada take it to the teams they need to take it to and get things started off on the right foot. The uh, second thing that um, I am looking at is it'll be interesting to see how first ever female on the Canadian team Raf roster, Raphael Toussignon, will be used and impact on the roster. I um, have a feeling that uh, she's probably going to be used um, a bit sparingly just because it's a new role. I hope I'm wrong. I hope she plays a prominent role, but uh, this is a first, and so we'll see how this rolls out. Uh, thoughts from both of you on this event as a whole, your own thoughts, whether you want to weigh in on what I've said, go for it. Uh Josh, start with you. I'm looking forward to the event. I want to see how Team Canada does under their new coaching uh, regime. Uh, now that we're starting a new quadrennial and we're in the process of, of the team adjusting to a new coach and hopefully a new style because I personally don't believe that the old style was working. I believe that their struggles had as much to do with tactics as it did with personnel on the team. Um, if there's a game that I'm concerned about outside of the United States, I think it's probably the, the team from Czechia or Czech Republic, whatever they're choosing to go by. Um, I don't think Canada should have any problem with them, but... A team like that that's maybe newer to the event and maybe isn't as well known could surprise somebody. Uh, certainly Pool B, I think we're probably safe to assume that uh, China and probably probably Norway, if I had to guess, will be the two teams that might come out of that pool. Um, I do find it interesting, once again, that United States and Canada are in the same pool. Uh, that to me is is interesting, but yeah, that's annoying <laughs> to me. Well, you uh, say in, you annoying, know, I, I say interesting. Just just ju just have to put that out there. That is flat out annoying. It's been annoying in the um, uh, women's uh, conventional hockey. I understand you want to see best on best, but to me, when first and second uh, become that. One heads up pool A, uh, one heads up pool B, and that's that. Uh, sorry to cut you off there, but I just had to weigh in that it annoys the AG double hockey sticks out of me. Proceed on your comments and or if you're done, uh, Cameron, and take over. But uh, yeah, I just had to weigh in on that. Well, I'll, I'll wrap up here briefly. Um, I, I do see China and probably either uh, Norway or maybe Italy as the two teams coming out of pool B. It'll be interesting to see, for me, more how Pool B shakes out rather than Pool A. I assume that there will be some kind of crossover or that the Pool A and Pool B teams will, will play each other. Um, it's going to be a fun tournament, and based on other world-class events that have been held in the West, sort of the Saskatchewan, Alberta, BC sort of area. I think the fans will, will come out in droves and really give them a lot of support. And I, I, I kind of wish that I could make a team like that because I think it would be fun to play in. Yeah, that'd be awesome to be able to play in a tournament like that. I might have to dust off the old sledge or uh, borrow one uh, in order to be able to play because it's <laughs> been years since I've played but yeah, it would be absolutely phenomenal to be able to play in a tournament like that and uh, against other people in the world uh, as far as the tournament itself uh, to me it comes down to Canada and US and the players that the US has uh, lost um, 
and obviously gained. Um, but they have some pretty prominent uh, players in, in goal that uh, aren't going to be uh, playing in goal. Um, and with Canada, um, you know, with the additions that they have, um, to me, their problem always was is they needed to get in on the forecheck against the United States and to be able to sustain pressure in the offensive zone. And that never happened. Um, so hopefully they have a team now that's going to be able to do that um, because they've got a, you can't score goals if you're not in the offensive zone. And it seemed like uh, against the U.S. at least, uh, you know, it was always in the Canadian zone. So hopefully they have a strategy um, to be able to do that. And I don't know if it's playing defensive hockey and then just taking, um, you know, the chances when you have them to be able to go into the offensive zone or if it's more sustained pressure uh, by getting in on the forecheck. And I think, you know, from my little experience that I have, that would be the way to do it. So uh, it's going to be an interesting tournament. I always like Korea. Um, they're usually a really fast team to watch. Um, Norway. They've won this a couple of times, uh, you know, years ago. So it'd be interesting to see how they're going to be this year as well. Um, it's it's just a fun hockey tournament to watch at the end of the end of the day, and I always enjoy watching it. Uh, a couple of things of note here: um, it, there had been a rumor that Hockey Canada was charging um, some money to watch some games uh, last night's game that did not involve Team Canada, uh, was able to be played without uh, cost. Um, can't speak for tonight's game because it hasn't happened yet, obviously, and it's 9 p.m. Eastern. What I can tell you is the World Para Ice Hockey Facebook page seems to be streaming these games, and there doesn't seem to be a cost associated with that. So if there is one uh, on Hockey Canada's website tonight, do uh, go to that um, or any other uh, game of the week. Do go to that World Para Ice Hockey uh, Facebook page because that's your safest bet in the whole thing. And to me, Canada really needs to make a statement at this World Championship. They have made some changes. They have identified that you know they need to have a woman in um, Raphael, uh, you know, crack the roster, and this is good. Um, I think their speed needs to be part of it. I think they need to just push the pace. They need to somehow stop Roybal. They need to stop Declan Farmer of the United States, all those things. And so please enjoy the event. It will be a good one, and we will talk about it all next week as well as we often do that is the end of our show for this week i would like to thank cam jenkins josh watson i'd also like to thank mark aflalo our technical producer our podcast coordinator is ryan delahanty tune in next week because you just never know what happens when you enter the neutral zone be safe and stay well